Welcome to the Drummer's Pathway, the podcast about music, life, and the creative process. Hello, I'm Michael Scott, and welcome to the Drummer's Pathway podcast. On this episode, I welcome back drummer Jamie Wallum for his second appearance on my podcast. Best known as the drummer for the iconic band Tears for Fears, a position he has held since 2010, Jamie is highly regarded for his impeccable and passionate live performances and creativity as an in-demand session musician. I first had the opportunity to interview Jamie last year as he was preparing to head out on the Tears for Fears summer tour. It was a pleasure to reconnect for a follow-up conversation to reflect back on those experiences and find out what he's been up to since the tour finished. In this interview, we talk about his personal journey through the different phases of his career. We also discuss the importance of maintaining a creative voice as a sideman while respecting the creative processes of the artists you work with. We also get into our perspectives on education and why it's essential to maintain humility in order to establish and define your place in this industry. And now, my interview with Jamie Wallum. The last time we connected for this, you were just getting ready to go out on the final leg of the Tears for Fears tour, which completed, I believe, back after some festival dates back in the end of November. Mm-hmm. So looking back, what were some of the, the highlights of that experience for you? That could be the only question asked and discussed for this whole thing. There was so many, and I mean that sincerely, but I think right off the top of my head and just instinctually, I would say, and memorably would be Madison Square Garden in New York was tremendously uh, exciting and memorable and and yet kind of a, a blur still. And, you know, again, as we talked about in the last time we got together, was the fact that I'm taking all this in with a completely different lens, you know, in my life being uh, sober from alcohol and, and being in recovery. And so, yeah, but I think Madison square garden, lots of reasons. I'll just say most uh, immediately because of the the history there Um, and kiss the reason why I even even finished their tour there, but it's like, I'd never even been inside uh, Madison square garden. So that was my first time even being inside and then getting to play there. So that was a big one. And I had an amazing, my daughter got to come to that show and my mom and sister flew out my, uh, my partner from here. And it was just, it was a, a, a very memorable few days. Um, there's lots of other ones, man. I got to play, um, Hollywood Bowl. We ended the tour at the Hollywood Bowl. I don't mean that one is like, oh, I almost forgot. I was just like, there's so many. But Hollywood Bowl was huge for me because, again, I had never played there. And I'd only ever attended a handful of shows there. But again, as with Madison Square Garden, the legend, you know, the legends of and this history of acts that have played there is immense. And so just to even everything from, you know, and there's people in the Philharmonic that have played there, you know, over a hundred times and stuff. Mm-hmm. But just for me, I think they, I think they would agree. Even playing a hundred times, it's just pretty magical. The, it was a beautiful night. It was the last night of our tour, and it was sold out. And and uh, we had um, a culmination. We had a few extra b- background singers, and um, both Karina and Lauren 
the two background singers that have worked with tears both sang that night and so it was just a it was a yeah, really really memorable beautiful event i think one of the things that i also found particularly interesting about watching you throughout that tour and we had a, we had the chance to to meet in person at the toronto show which was a fantastic experience and definitely one of the show highlights I, for me i would just have to interrupt and say and i know this is going to seem oh, really he jumps in right now i promise you the next next memorable because i even posted about it although i hadn't hit i think i'd done madison square garden at that time but uh i hadn't done hollywood bowl but i even posted something on social media after the toronto show saying i think this is within my top few most memorable shows because the crowd and the energy that night and the band i thought played really you know it was just it was magical and that venue i thought was really beautiful too right on the water and i got to spend time with you i got to spend time with rob brown who's another yeah. well-known or who i got to meet for the first time it was just yeah it's it's uh i feel again just immensely i'm taking it all in and it's just it's beautiful it's really really that was a, a very very enjoyable gig and like i said got to meet you and spend uh some really again the, the way that we've been able to just kind of jump off the platform as friends and as uh drummers and as humans and the level of conversation of where we're both at in our lives and the stuff we experience is is fascinating to me and I'm, yeah i'm really really appreciative of you finding it interesting enough to want to talk to me <laughs> well i think one of the things that i enjoyed about watching your process in terms of your social media posts throughout that tour experience it was what came across to me was your humble nature and your gratitude for all of the positive experiences and opportunities that you have in your life and i just i found that really inspiring because here's someone that a lot of people can look at and say oh my god this is amazing because you get to play with this iconic band you get to play these amazing stages and it creates this environment or this expectation that there's a separation between the person just starting out and then the person who's the performer and you just kind of bridge those two gaps together and and just really showed people that it's really not about just the division between you know the the dream and the reality yeah. but really rather just it's just an experience that you've had some incredible opportunities to have and and you're just like us you know you 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 have your own stuff that you're going through you have your own goals you have your own things that you're constantly working towards and it was just a real pleasure for me to kind of just sort of share that experience with you man that means a lot to me and i appreciate your words and your take on it and your um you know communicating that to me i think without again getting super philosophical or trying not to get philosophical what you're talking about is what i am trying to bridge the gap between consciously in on many levels but not um deceptively and not in a way with uh, uh, any other motive than <clears throat> I guess even trying to be as real as I can, which includes showing that there's plenty of faults that we all have. And here's mm -hmm. the weird part, man. My mind works in such a way that sometimes it can be a really, <laughs> I would say scary place, tricky place. You know, the mind of someone who can be uh, addicted uh, or have an addictive nature or be an addict of sorts. I'm an a I am an addict of lots of things. 
many not even necessarily bad and so therefore it's like oh well then you're not an addict no i think it's i think what's happened is i don't feel the need to seek help on these things because they haven't come become problems in my life but whether they're i could consider myself having an addictive nature toward it i do because if it feels good i want to do it until it doesn't feel good anymore and i want to extract and that to me is like the essence or the for my experience the essence of an addict is it's like doing that that, but I, it's about relearning the equation. And so here's the weird part is I actually, in the amount of time I do spend in social media or seeing things, you know, I've seen the pictures and the films of people who take selfies in front of like homeless people or have their boyfriend or their girlfriend taking film of them doing a charitable thing for nothing more than the post. What And so now even somehow being uh grateful or giving or blah 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 can run the risk of being false or deceptive and all this stuff and so even then i've had people go like i really have and i take this to heart close friends who have you know also encouraged finding the balance in in that stuff with you know not always seeming like i'm too meek or mild and and that's an important thing to remember in the whole thing because it's got to be about if if i want to remain well who i am as a person then it's got to be about in my integrity and i haven't had and i say this and this is like the most honest i could get i haven't had a very good experience or a very historically good track record with my integrity especially when i go deeper and deeper of involvement into uh you know substances and and addiction that that is that makes me unwell and that's and so if that makes sense that's just sort of what i'm not i i'm sort of over and through the skids i've had i'm kind of over any nerves about saying being honest enough to go oh here's this or here's that or like kind of opening up about it because to me at that core if it still can be encouraging to someone else it's worth doing and that comes from a genuine place in my heart because i know what it felt like to be encouraged by others as well and supported and you know get to see stuff for real good and bad well, I find for me, some of the most inspirational things, the things that help me the most are when people share challenges because everyone has challenges. But, and we talked about this before. The problem with social media a lot of times is it becomes a highlight reel of unrealistic successes or visions that people want to portray. But the reality is, is everyone struggles. Everyone has different things that they struggle with. Some cases, it may be addiction. Some cases, it may be being an introvert in an extroverted world or just trying to find your place or find your purpose. But one of the things that I find inspirational is when people say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm trying to go through and show processes rather than final results so if yeah. you're try so if you're trying to learn you know if, if if you want to make a drum cover for instance i want to see the raw file of you figuring it out rather yeah. than rather than just the end result because to me that's more encouraging and more inspirational to to realize that hey we're all on different different places in our journey but yeah. i want to see that the people that i'm looking up to still have the points of which they need to start and build things up from there and I, and i think that's something that you actually do quite well you tend to share a lot but it tends to be a you know thing some of the things you're sharing is hey i'm getting ready to go on the road with whoever whether it be tears for fears or you did end up doing a number of dates with 
ABC, another I- iconic band as well. And you and you shared your process in terms of the preparation to go through and and get ready for these opportunities. And I found that incredibly inspirational. Oh well, thank you for that. And and you know, I've it's interesting that this is again just touching upon what you're saying uh, that I think I've come into some level of acceptance and even dare I say confidence in, in my experience and years doing music now, considering I'll be 54 this year Mm -hmm. and I started playing drums when I was 10. So right there, that's significant in terms of time with the instrument. I am. and, And the experience I've had playing music and touring and all of that stuff. And even going into writing, because I, I got to say this too, where directionally I feel like I'm even more attuned to head in my life creatively isn't as much. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid that if I go, I'm going to open up a part of my drumming uh, experience uh, in the form of an educational realm, you know, via lessons and via um, possibly some um you know, recorded an actual um, document, like like a, a teaching course, like some course stuff about what I've been through and how I, I've, I've been asked by a lot of people, and I don't say that arrogantly. I just say that's been one thing. Like, have you ever thought about doing an instructional video or an instructional course or whatever? And I have many times, and and of course, it's interesting to me. <laughs> well, I'd be fascinated <laughs> to watch what it is that I'm thinking I want to show, but when I'm talking about some of the depths that I want to go into, I'm like, man, that's a pretty particular drumming crowd because that's what I'd want. That's really kind of the dives that would, would only motivate me to do put in the energy and the, and spend the time creating it. Right. But I'm talking everyone from Jim Gordon to, uh, you know, uh, Jim Keltner to Hal Blaine. And, and again, everyone knows a lot of those guys. What about a lot of the English drummers, Joe, Joe, uh, guys that Joe English, uh, the guy from, Bread, who is an American drummer, uh, I'm, I, all these names are coming up as I'm starting to revisit a lot of stuff. The guy who played with the Bee Gees for only four years, who did the Saturday Night Live soundtrack. Man, I just got recommended. Check that guy out. Well, of course, I know the grooves. Mm-hmm. Everyone, how could you not? Da- everyone danced to that record. The guy, and I come to find out, the gentleman only played with the band for four years, and he's played on one of the biggest albums of all time. And the drumming on that soundtrack is incredible. It really is. And so I'm like, but who's, you know, who would, I don't know. I go like, I think some people would. And so, but I'm, I'm tempering all my interest in the drum aspect of what I'm doing. I'm not a, I'm not a chop guy. I'll never be that kind of guy. I don't think I'll ever interest people in that realm. And that's not looking for compliments. I've learned enough technique to be tasty. And I have a few tricks here and there, but ultimately to me, I'm even more into creating and pr- helping produce music now more than I am. And if my drumming on a particular project might be the flavor I think it might need as I'm creating it. I mean, arrogantly, I'd want to say I haven't had to go call another drummer yet to play on anything I'm creating, but I'm open to that as well because I want to just get more into the craft of creating, helping an artist bring a song to life because that's what is where truly like my passion is. And that's where I also feel it's kind of the most untraveled territory for myself as a musician at this point in my career. It's funny because looking back at the show you played in Toronto, of course, one of the highlights of the Tears for Fear show is always Bad Man Song because it's got this such this iconic drum intro and there's a lot of complexity in that. And you played it beautifully. But what I really thought was cool is that you played it 
the way that you do it. It sounded like you. It didn't sound like you being a carbon copy of Manu Kache, who played her on, on the original record. So it had a different vibe. There's a little bit more of a rock element to them, but there was some just beautiful elements to that. But to me, one of the highlights of the show I, I apologize if I get the title wrong, but there's a song, I think it was called River of Dreams. Oh, River uh, Rivers of Mercy. River of Mercy, that's it. Um, and you, on that song, you just, you played the song with mallets. Mm-hmm. And and when I was watching you do that, the, 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 the whole energy and the vibe that, that that whole rhythmic track created was just so emotional and just so beautiful that to me, even though that's more of a ballad, the dynamics in that to me was definitely one of the highlights of the night because that to me is really where the elegance of drumming comes in sometimes almost more than the complexity elements of things. And so for me, that was a particularly memorable track at that show and definitely a highlight. Beautiful. Uh, and for me too, that I got to say, that was one of the more complex and challenging and yet really um, the parts I look forward to the most of the set when we play is that particular song because of the fact that I got to orchestrate the drum part. And if I'll just say this briefly for anyone that uh, would be interested in and hears about this part of the conversation is that track on the record, to the best of my knowledge and I believe it's uh, all factual and documented, is Aaron Sterling, for those in the drum world that know of Aaron, of course, which would mean most anybody, um, Aaron played on that track, uh, and he did that at his own studio, I believe, uh, was sent the track, and he played it, and I've heard, I, I was sent the isolated track, you know, from the album Raw Tracks of, of his takes, and he played with his fingers, they had the gain structure set so high that he was playing that by tapping the toms and it had such a lovely beauty and it's just an amazing part and and i've been in awe of it and and i respect it the best i can to its utmost except i could i can't play with my fingers in that scenario but mallets really do something and the tone of the a and f's the way that i have them now it translate and so even myself as a listener equal or parallel with the performer during that song I, I do get the same experience. I get chills often at certain dynamic moments in that song, just being a participant in its creation at the time as well. So it's a very powerful song. It's a song that I think also for those that become more and more in the know of music, understand when I say this, that song has the the elements of such amazing productions as like Peter Gabriel and mm-hmm. and. Uh, you two and the Daniel Lenoir stuff. It's all in how the how simple and yet how uh, complexly put together the simplistic parts through the guitar and the and the air. It just it's moving and and something about the chord changes and the lyric because it's a very 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 personal song. So yeah, and Doug Petty from Tears actually wrote the I think the bulk of the music on that, and then Roland wrote the lyrics. So yeah, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, it was definitely a highlight for me. Now, one of the things we didn't get into the last time, but I was kind of curious about was, because I'm always curious about the creative process for things. Um, You played on a number of tracks on the Tears for Fears Tipping Point album. Mm -hmm. What's their creative process like? There's a lot of stuff that they do themselves. They bring in a lot of external musicians for things. And then there's um, band members will play on some things and not on other things. But what was that process like? 
That's a fantastic question. And it is a question that too, I want to say you and I have never, I think the only discussion you and I have ever had about like, Oh, what can we talk about? What was like me going talk, talk about anything. I'm open enough too, as I said earlier, like I can handle it. If I'm like, oh, I don't think I can talk about that. I can say it. Uh, let me just say this. There's no, there's no, I have to tread lightly because I'm trying to hide anything about the way that they work. I think in communicating this, it might even, well, it could do one of two things. It could make people more enlightened to the process or they could be like, oh, why is that? That's weird. I, and I don't, my intention is to not do either. All I know is my experience, which is what happened. And it's the truth that that the record that became the tipping point was actually, um, in essence, and even sort of physically parts of songs and even songs as holes, you know, was started back in, I think, close to 2014. Um, and because I, I remember I did sessions, I, you know, did full live drum sessions at Oceanway Studios uh, in Hollywood over a couple days in 2014. And, um, and then I did another round of sessions at a studio in like in LA, Los Feliz or something really lovely, but like a home studio. And the idea was that I only took a handful of drums, which I did. And they had some there and I just played, I played drum beats and fills to different BPMs for about four or five hours to know some had a little bit of musical idea behind it because they were working with a couple of other producers at the time. And that was how they worked. So I had never done that before. I found that fascinating. They just had some BPMs and some basic ideas of movement of rhythm. And then just said, can you just groove to this for 45 seconds? And then let's speed it up to BPM. Can you groove there? Play the same part. Now give us four bars with playing the and of fours. And, and I, and I did that. And that, that was, I guess that's no different than how people make their loop libraries and their sample libraries and whatever. But that was what we did. And this was again, 20, I want to say 2015, 2016. Hard for me to remember exactly what tunes were. I remember that I think the tune Break the Man had been around a while on Tipping Point. One of the extra songs is called Evolve. That was one of the original ones we tracked in the studio, I believe. And, you know, so, but then what ended up happening is so then in the culmination of them putting these songs together, that became the tipping point. Many of the drum tracks, it wasn't like we all got together in a room because it was COVID and I'm up in Canada. And so, and I did not have the studio that I have now when the tipping point uh, album was being recorded. Um, I have since, and I'll say this, and this I can't talk about much more other than I've just, I'm in the process and just finished laying down some drums for potentially a new tier song from my own place over the last three or four days. And it's worked beautifully. So that is open. I didn't have that option when that record was being recorded. And so budget COVID, lots of those things, when you can have someone like Aaron and who is a magical player anyway, and that's, you know, and in the honest question, it's like, well, do you want Aaron Sterling to play on it? And then you get to play it live. Or do you want to come up with, it? of course, my ego goes, well, of course I want to come up with it. But as a true fan of music and a true fan of drumming, I'm a true fan of his playing. And I'm like, it's an honor to play that stuff. Same with playing stuff that Fred Elteringham played on uh, all of uh, Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. The drumming on that record is um, beautiful. And, you know, to everyone that's also stepped in, I guess. So that was, to answer your question, I did it in a few segments um and then the way that it all came together you know i can't it's weird there's there's part of me that goes i i can hear within the song but if anyone thinks that it was done like oh we played there are songs break the man i played you know from beginning to end as now the song has 
evolved from the original. I mean, I have videos that I took in the studio recording it and playing back that were from 2016. You know, interesting. The song, it's all the same tempo, the same drum track, but it's the song has, you know, chorus sounds a little bit different. They changed harmonies, different. It was all in the production stage, but that was a whole song. Uh, the others, like I said, they're, they're a culmination of rhythmic creations through a number of different sources. And I'm pretty much okay with the fact that, you know, it's not just, oh, Jamie Wallen played all the drum, because the, that band, and I don't think this is any secret, Tears for Fears is and will always be, you know, Kurt Smith and Roland Orzabal. And so I'm, and, and I don't think that's weird to say, you know, but it's been the longest standing set band now that they've ever had. And so there is a gel, and I think that's the... That all came across. It was all mainly us that played throughout the record anyway. Someone in tears was, you know. At the Toronto show, um, you came out and we we were sitting uh, together in my seats for the show for about a half an hour. We had this beautiful, heartfelt conversation, which I really valued. And I mm -hmm. remember finding it really interesting just watching people walk into the venue, sitting down around us, taking their seats, getting ready for the show. Some people, some cases they're talking about, you know, the, the band and they're on their phones and they're looking up things in the band and not realizing at any point that the person who's like literally sitting behind them is the drummer for the show that they're here to see. But you had said to me, I can only do this because tears for fears as Roland and Kurt. They're the faces of the band. It's, it's their band. The rest of us essentially are anonymous to the crowd. They don't know who we are. They, they value your work, but you have that sort of freedom. And I actually find comfort in a lot of those sort of situations where I I would rather be the person behind the curtain who's valued for my contribution than the person who gets all of the accolades. Well, and I, I, I agree with you. I'm most comfortable in that space. Although it is easy to, again, here comes that thing that like, whatever I call it, my mind, you know, my, the mind buzz, the filter of like, oh, is that it's easy to say that because wouldn't I love everyone to believe that? Oh, yeah, well, I like being like every, every, the every man. Well, I mean, the alternative to that is okay, well, do I, you know, do I want to have success? Would I like to have, I mean, I don't know. I can say this I am not comfortable, nor do I feel, I do feel like there's people that are, can say that they're in the business of art or entertainment or sports or whatever who enjoy what they do, but struggle with the fame. Now, again, fortune, I don't know who struggles with, you know, if you're hopefully grounded, it only makes your life easier. Some of the immense worth and value placed on art and entertainment, I think, is still very, very disproportionate. But as long as the people are willing to go to the Coliseum, the show will be given. And I don't mean anything weird, but like, that's just kind of, I look at it like that. And so, um, I, I don't know, I... I but Kurt and Roland, oddly enough, if I may say this, this was my point. Only at a tears show, and mostly only at a tears show, and probably only to half the crowd, they could walk around too. If they, if Roland had his hair back and Kurt had a hat on and glasses, no one would recognize him. Yet if somehow the essence of everybody wants to rule the world walked by someone, everyone would know it. But they're not known as faces necessarily to their music their songs and they roland really communicated this this last tour too they're okay with this but their songs are bigger than they are mm -hmm. even 
there in in the realm of that noticeability, but even more so among the band that play was, plays with them. And so that's been an interesting thing to navigate within the business of music and drumming is, you know, no, notability, FaceTime, recognizability, airtime, whatever, you know, everyone hustling for that thing. I, I, I desire it. I would like to have more of it because I think that it could then, that's just the world I guess we live in with a lot of what we're doing. However, I'm very, uh, I'm very timid about it all for numerous reasons, probably mainly because uh, my lack of experience in it. I wasn't raised in a generation where doing something digitally and electronically and whatever is just so instinctive. Um, and that's just the truth, but I've also probably put off significantly. I resist it like, uh, as I get older because, but I, I can't fight it anymore. And so I, if that's a way to help also be able to share the experience that I have, and then, you know, uh, all I want to do is be able to continue doing what I'm doing it, hopefully through the support and through continuing, uh, to have a way to make a living doing it. But it's, again, all that brings me back to, I do prefer to be, uh, because I think that allows me to have a much, uh, to have better relationships with people that I meet in and among what I do, you know? And one of the things that you and I had also talked about recently was kind of the process of reinvention. And what I mean by that is you're known to a lot of the industry as the drummer for this iconic band of which is a gig that you have held, I believe is since 2010. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, so you sort of being part, part of this circus, per se. Um, you also, at the end of that tour, went on to to do some touring with ABC, and we'll get into that as well, too. But recently, we were, we were talking about now that those tours are done, now you've got time. So now you, you're kind of the in-between time, and it really comes down to that process of figuring out who you are and the process of reinvention to establish your current career. Let's talk first about the ABC experience, and then let's just get into kind of what your focus is right now and some of the things that you're really hoping to to accomplish. Yeah, I beautifully said. The ABC experience uh, was and, and has been a really, uh, I think, pivotal. It's been enjoyable, period. It, uh, those songs, and for anyone that, again, might see this, it doesn't know much about them or whatever uh, again i think once you do a little bit of a dive you'll go oh yeah i you know i know of course and then people that are in the know go of course man lexicon of love the look of love that whole was huge huge and great great songs trevor horn you know did did the production on that record and and it's it's an immensely well put together body of music and and the people uh that still are associated with we creating the music live martin and andy carr who is the, the bass player who's been with them for 17 years he's the reason i had been invited or had gotten in with those guys because we'd done a couple shows together back in 2019 and met and really hit it off and so the opportunity to want to do something together um came up and we had worked together on a couple other projects and so it just it just hit and and that was a so subsequently that was a really pivotal moment for me because it was the first time I had played or gone on tour with a band um, other than Tears in about 10 years. And other than 
I want to say this and not other than it was just different because it was a different phase and, and sort of, they were very separate was when I, I played for about three and a half years, four years with a very well-known Chinese pop singer named Jem. And so I traveled over to um, China regularly uh, more than half the year I was gone. I never interfered with tears during that time, but that sort of, we only, so I, it's different. The point is ABC was the only gig that in 10 years, I had been asked to do and then said yes and then completed. And when I say that, it's with this caveat back when I was still drinking and really struggling. This was 2018. I had met and been approached to play some gigs with Jeff Tate and his uh, Queensryche gig. And anyways, I had said yes. That was a huge honor. I was a huge Queensryche fan and a huge fan of Operation Mindcrime, which was this record. And it was going to be in Seattle, and which is you know, their hometown. And I was slated to do the rehearsals and I could not stop drinking. And I, I had to bail out of that weeks before it was rehearsal was scheduled. And it was very, very for me too. And just in general, I, I let them down and they got through it. And we've now, I've made, I've made amends and I've, uh, and it's, it's all since been good. And I, you know, but I haven't had another either opportunity or offer. And that was, but I could not get it together. And I, and part of that not getting it together was the anxiety I felt in coming out of my comfort zone of tears for fears to do something else musically at that, at anywhere near the same level. Cause it's such, I put myself into such like it, like a tick in a good way. I put my, <laughs> this safety net of playing this same sort of iconic music other than new music from a new record. But ultimately I haven't done much more than that. And I've lived a very removed life other than that in the rest of the areas of my life. And so to say yes to that, to take it on, I had to learn, I think, 15 songs in a, I had, I had enough time. It wasn't a rush. I was, and then, but that was a process too that was incredibly frustrating and educational and like a lot of anxiety around whether I could go do something like that. But I had an amazing time and I think I did very well. All reports are very well because I've been uh, offered an aspect to go uh, out coming up later in the year. So I look forward to that as well. When you're entering in a situation that is extremely out of your comfort zone, it's usually because you haven't done the preparation for them. Mm -hmm. um, because you think, oh, this is going to be easy, so I'll figure it out. And the reality is, is that if you're not willing to do the work that you're hired to do and do the preparation and own the experience, you will always be outside of your comfort zone. And I think that's one of the things that I have really respected about you through a lot of the processes that I have been observing is your dedication to the preparation of the job at hand. And that's one of the reasons why you have had these really positive experiences because you jump in and you're not afraid to do the work. And by the time the job starts, you're ready to go. Thank you for saying that. I, I want to say thank you too, for what, a um, I would say kind of simplistic, uh, but very deep, uh, you know, to communicate that to me, because I'm like, you just sort of taught me something about myself in that, that I think I understand, but what, how that looks to me, that's how it looks to you, right? How it looks to me, it, I guess it's the same thing, but what that comes from is this. I've been in the situation only a few times in reality, but quite a few times in my dreams, <laughs> as I think we all have, 
But for some reason, man, my lack of prep, and, and I know it got worse after I, you know, bombed out of being able to fil- fulfill my commitment to do that work with Jeff Tate mm-hmm. is that, um, one of the things that overwhelmed me about that process was I thought I knew Scott Rockenfield's drumming on that record because I grew up with it. I never tried to sit and learn and play it. And it is a beast of a drumming album for that group and that style of music. It is one of my favorites and had been. And then I got completely overwhelmed because I was not in the emotional, physical, mental, and again, playing wise, I wasn't well enough to handle the material. And the minute that I knew I couldn't do it, I rather than find that somehow a challenge and being able to put that together in myself, I did the, the first thing someone in you know an active addiction like that does, and that's just I I tanked the whole thing, Molotov cocktail all over the whole thing. <laughs> ah, sorry, you know, and that's the truth. And I don't say that lightheartedly. I say that because that's an honest, you know, whether or not I know that that's what I'm doing. I just I just got petrified, knew I couldn't do it, and could not seem to get upright out of the space I was in to, and then it all crashed. And so the work now is to prevent, and I think kind of always has been, but I've never really fully lost it in a fully professional realm on stage. It's one of my biggest fears. And so what happens, what I have experienced though, is plenty of the examples of the criteria that happens that can throw you off your game. And so with that comes the knowledge that if I don't know the material as instinctively and intuitively as possible as a musical creative piece, not a, and I'm not knocking anyone else that does this, not a chart, not an iPad, not someone feeding me lines in my, or whatever cues in my in-ears, but it's gotta be something, a piece of music that I, as, as a musician, I know how to play and can play hopefully even semi blindfolded, if not blindfolded, because every other possible thing from a bug in your eye to sweat in your eye to the mic stand falling to your snare drum breaking to the this and that to the drums going out to the whatever, the click stopping, the uh, like all that stuff happens. And I got to be able to, to not be, imagine dealing with that. It's like a pilot. If I was just worried about flying the plane, like how do I hold the thing for the thing? What am I going to do when the, when the landing gear might be stuck or something i don't know if that makes sense but it's like so the only way i know how to prepare is to get it so it's as second nature where at any point i can even point out a part to the guitar player or the bass player like well on the record and that is something that happened i'll say that as a small humorous caveat i don't know if i became annoying to the guys in abc i certainly know it, I, it was in I, I sparked a great deal of like who is this cat going in because they're they, they're all quite accomplished and have been playing the music and the music morphs itself slightly based yes. on yeah. and and here i am learning the record right and coming in going okay well i'm the drums definitely play on the push of the four and the end of the whatever and they're going yeah no, no no get it but here we've done this live and this is what we've done for 10 years and that's how it ends and that's whatever and so yeah there was a lot of that stuff that then i had to adjust very quickly and try and then that became the more anxiety ridden part was remembering all the new cues that i only got to learn in one day three and a half hour rehearsal for three full shows. So, but it can't, like I said, very enjoyable. And, it, and uh, I look forward that I want to say one last thing about that gig to the drummer that might know anything about ABC or what I went through. All I can say was it, it musically, it's a very fun gig because the drumming, whether it was programmed or live or part of both. And I've done again, a deep dive, David Palmer and Andy Newmark and some of the guys, British drummers that are legendary that played on 
that played the live stuff that wasn't programmed on that. Um, it's very much, if you isolate the drum tracks and listen to exactly what either the program part of the drummer's playing, it resembles Tony Thompson and Chic, um, mm-hmm. without quite the Bonham-esque thing, but the straight parts of old Chic, um, but that feel and that groove and that simplicity. And that's all it took because the song and everything else that seems to make the song move like it does is in the other elements. And the drums are really just locking it down. That's why, again, it became something that I could dig dig my teeth into um, as a drummer and musically as well. But as far as then going on that into what's next, I will, may I touch upon that briefly? Absolutely. But I did want to make sure I could spend, because again, the ABC thing has been, I'm very grateful for it. And it's been fascinating. Um, And that in and of itself as a drummer, I think is a deep enough dive. We could talk about, you know, there's songs to break apart and all this. As far as what's coming up now, I honestly, and I've thought about this in, in my conversations or thinking about conversations I would have with people about, well, what's happening this year for, for tears. I, I mean, I'm, it's not that I'm not at liberty to say there is stuff that's being planned. There's nothing right this very second that is in stone. Otherwise it would have been announced, but I know that, you know, here's where I'm at with all of that is I consider myself, um, honored and in, again as i you've heard i'm i will always that will always be my my home base and my home gig as long as they you know desire me to continue to hold that chair what i think is where i <clears throat> where my life and the last three years of my playing and experience with tears and and again running parallel with my own journey has opened me up to this goal if this may sound uh, uh, I don't know, communicate clearly. I want Tears for Fears to be um, the least of what take, like I want that to be that site coming home and putting on my my slippers and my robe and being like, so whenever that comes, my goal is that I am available if desired and that will always be. But until those things come, I want that to be the least of my concern. And so where am I headed? What am I doing? That is the toughest part. If it's okay to say that at this very moment on today's date, I don't fully know. <laughs> I don't fully know. And it's a very, very scary, very enlightening, very educational journey towards uh, what people might think someone in my position, where they might be at and where it is in real life, real time. And that's what, again, comes down to the authenticity and the reality of how I represent myself. But I'm how do you make so lessons are a big way you know going uh going uh public with the fact that i want to be able to teach and i think i've been teaching since i was 17 and i think my enjoyment of teaching and my scope of range of now again if someone said yeah i, I want to learn avenge sevenfold i can say that's i'm not your guy mm-hmm. and then, no, i just i'm not i that is not the style that i i excelled at and continue to be you know quite well versed in it's not but there's a lot of other things that i think so that is and i'm I'm more confident even in that now the scope of which i think i could uh educate other drummers from my experience and so that right there is where i think i'm headed now what does that look like in today's modern world on salt spring island in my little studio it does it looks like it's not an in-person thing it's where i'd be able to open it up and that's where the so what I'm doing is building the infra- infrastructure now to be able to have like we're doing now, but with Sonics and with proper 
uh, you know, system where, where it can be with very little need for the other person, but with the option for it to be as sonically and visually high end as possible so that we could still have the closest experience to be in the same room. And I want to be able to uh, also record, um, pieces and do deep dives that's what i'm recording right now and that's what i've sort of i'll finish with this i'm correlating the fact that it's winter time here and it's cold and you know i lose water and but and it's gray but today today the sun is out and that Mm -hmm. for that i i go it's it's beautiful right and so now i'm i'm recording content what do i feel like what challenges me today what do i want to and like i said so i i break my time between playing trying to track an acoustic guitar for a song i'm helping bring to life which for me is a drummer i mean that's a whole other side of my stuff right but like those are the those are the things i'm doing and those are also where my where my uh my passion is going like i said i like working with uh younger kids like i said i j- i've always enjoyed teaching because i enjoy the experience of getting to see the light bulb go off when and, and then see the steps that happen it's like removing the block that then you get to see the the water move up to the next thing that's holding it back but um that is the most fascinating part and then to see the passion that you know younger kids have for learning but then the flip side of that is and i probably sound like but i'm honest with my feelings i I don't know if i would survive you know six hours straight of teaching 11 year olds how to first play the triangle so if i'm honest and realistic no that's not where i see myself headed and i'm grateful again for the ones that can do that but i i I think i'm definitely a bit more specific of a of a thing and so i think education like i said doing i i feel like creating the type of content that i'm doing now albeit it's a bit of a gamble because like i said i don't know if anyone will find it interesting in the way but i also am like i can't let that rule my decisions and what i choose to work on because i want it to be led by what i find what i would find fascinating because i will put the most energy and passion into wanting it to be the best it can be because i find it fascinating if that makes sense well, and sometimes in these situations, we start to doubt whether or not someone may find something interesting. And usually the root of that comes down to, am I doing everything that everyone else is doing? Because if everyone's doing it, maybe that's where the value is. And if I'm doing something that isn't like everyone else, then you start to question your philosophy. And I think for me, the best teachers are the ones that are not following what everyone else does. If someone wants to learn a paradiddle, there are a million and a half YouTube videos to go on there and learn how to play a paradiddle. As a teacher myself, I used to struggle with the challenge of presenting information to a student that I was excited about. Because I figured if I was really excited about something that I learned, I would assume that they would be excited about it too. And I would start to get frustrated when they suddenly weren't as interested in something that I found really interesting. And then I had to change my teaching philosophies and I started to realize this isn't about the things that speak to me. This is about me figuring out what speaks to them and altering my information to give them the things that they're curious about. And sometimes that means you have someone that's really dedicated to wanting to learn how to read because maybe they're learning how to play stuff in school or they 
pull free drum charts off off of uh, Google, and then they come in, they want to learn a song, and they print it out a chart, which are usually poorly written half the time. But <laughs> but that's what they find exciting. They found something they want to learn how to interpret that. Um, and I found for me, I became a much better teacher when I started to find a passion in the things that they were passionate about and just really yep. finding a way to help them overcome the challenges that they, that they faced. And I love teaching. Um, I'm not as into the assembly line teaching approach anymore, where it's the same curriculum, the same students yep. all the time, just full of I want to teach people that are passionate about learning regardless of the level that they're looking to achieve. So Perfect. when it comes to your teaching, what's your philosophy? If you have a new student, what's, what, what inspires you to want to inspire them? On the broader answer to that, I would start rather than going specific and then broadening out, I'll start mm -hmm. broad specific to me, the goal or what would inspire me or what, what, what might, intent would be as a teacher would be now again i say this as the quick asterisk to i'm sure many have heard this same thought right is you have to change how you teach that's why when you said the same curriculum the same thing and you know just where you're the steady uh what do you call it road sign or or billboard and they come to read you right like i i tried that a little bit for a while and maybe 20 years ago, I would, I, I swore by taking every new student through the realistic rock by Carmine of Peace, mm -hmm. because I knew came to me, they were probably going to be more gravitated toward rock and roll anyway. And that was a hugely success. I mean, that book changed my look and I think is a, is a fantastic, uh, one of the cements for a rock drummer. It's incredible, regardless of what anyone thinks of Carmine of Peace, but I don't even go there. But like that book, I think was, it helped for just from my experience. It's all I know how to relate it. Tremendous book. So, but that didn't work because not everybody want is it, not everybody hears those really cool triplet things that you learn in that book or gives two shits about it. Forgive me for, but like they want to do something. And so to me, you will get the most uh, success, you will get the most result out of something when you put the most time into it. However, again, that's not the complete sentence because we all know you can clock five hours in a room and you can clock 15 minutes in a room and you can come out in 15 minutes with more progress than you did in five hours if you were tuned in to what you were doing. So that's what I'm saying. Tuned in time equals uh, skill. And that, I believe, is just the way that it is. I haven't seen that theory to be wrong unless you don't possess the ability to do the craft you're putting in all the time and you just cannot. But I haven't seen that to be true. With music or rhythm, it's a, a thing because, again, you can't teach someone innate melody or innate phrasing or innate rhythm if they have it. But I do believe that the majority of hu humans possess the ability to at least at a reasonably skilled level if they put in the time practicing what a hopefully good teacher has given them to build the blocks they could be participating in creating music but it takes effort and so what i also realize is not the young uh, there is uh, whether it was i was the same way when i was younger i don't know this is what is somehow weird i can the difficulty for me is navigating students that I could tell no matter what I did, they may not, this may not be the pat, the, the instrument that is going to make them the most passionate. Mm -hmm. And that's hard for me to understand because how could you not be passionate about playing drums and banging on stuff and making rhythm? Like it's the greatest thing in the world. I haven't found that, you know, 
but it's true. There's just people that have been signed up for lessons, thought kids younger, they, and, and no matter what I tried, I just couldn't, they just didn't excel. They didn't want to get it and didn't want to put in the time. So meeting someone where they're at, trying to, to get a little bit uh, focused on the specific. However, this is the other thing that I feel we're losing in it. And I'll say this and be the first one to hold up a, a sign about it. I think my experience is at least through these, the, uh, social media or internet version of instruction and stuff. I do think that there's some really core fundamentals that are starting to get a little bit uh, less focused on that we're getting further away from that I think are crucial. And so part of where I'm at right now in, if this is an across the board theme that I'm starting with from the youngest of ages, and I'm talking, I have students that are 12 right now and 15 is the importance, even though they bring me and we do listen to and study uh, Slipknot and Avenge Sevenfold drum parts and Joey Jordison and Jay Weinberg and, or we do listen to, yeah, um, Taylor Swift or whatever, or we do listen to El Saborier. I, I, and I don't say that because I, but the, there's a gentleman who's just one of the fastest guys I've ever seen with Mohawk and big beard and does this crazy stuff. But like, I've never seen that guy play a groove and I'm talking like something that sounded out of the realm of Stan Lynch or Don Henley or Mick Fleetwood or something that has that thing. Now he could go, why would I need to? That's not my thing. Of course. But so not doing that thing and doing more toward the thing that I like is my thing. Right. And so if that makes sense, but I don't know if my thing's not flashy, right. My thing's not, you have to have a palette that might understand. And so, but what I'm, let me draw this back to the finish. The, the question is that I want to draw out the passion, but to me, if you can align the passion with getting turned on at doing the work, like if you get, I got, I some, for some reason, and I don't feel like I'm crazy, right? If you're passionate about something, it will make you crazy. It will, you'll question everything, but it will motivate like un, even unwillingly, you just will be drawn back to doing it because it, what it, it's what you love. And, and so that's, I guess, uh, I don't know if I, I want, I want to instill the fact that you cannot skip, you cannot jump ahead to, you know, AI and, and, uh, beat detectives and whatever, none of it is. And loop machines where you doesn't have to be on time and quantizing and drum samples and all that. It, it will never replace what is starting to get a bit foggy in my opinion is some of the fundamental basics of what, and I still believe, and thank God there are a lot of younger generation drummers that are caring, in my opinion, getting back to appreciating, um, you know, the, the, some of the older school stuff, if that makes sense. But I, the further we go with tech, every time technology gets pushed, we get further away from the reason why something was recognized or was made, you know, legendary in the beginning and then somehow draw back to it. Like all we're trying to do now, we're trying to recreate, like there's, I just saw Tim Horton Donuts is coming out with a new line called Retro Donuts yes. or Classic Donuts or something like. So the newest technology we have is to put out something that was, you know, a thing and creative back in the seventies. Like, what does that say about anything? I don't. It, to me, that's fascinating. I saw that commercial and my, I, I was almost stupefied. I'm like, what a trip! That's that's the new market is introducing what we did. 35 years ago, 40 years ago. Cool. 
there's a reason at work then it's a reason why we go back to it so you know i uh, i had a student once years ago and every week he would come in and he would always have a question about something that he saw on youtube and i loved it because he was so passionate about learning to play the drums that it wasn't just a matter of he would go online and he would find like whoever is like the flashiest drummer he would come in with the most interesting things and he came and he was like a 15 year old kid and he came in once and he goes i was just checking out just recently found an album by John Coltrane and there was this guy named Elvin Jones on it. What do you know about Elvin Jones? And I'm like, looking, I'm going, I don't know where you came from because you seem to be attracted to the coolest things. And then he would come in another week and it would be, you know, a Nashville country drummer. And then he came in once and he had said, I just watched this video of this guy and he was like the happiest most enthusiastic drummer i ever saw in my life and i found it really inspiring and i said well who was it and he goes it was this guy named dom familiero who we unfortunately lost and i just smiled at him and i said well dom family is my mentor and literally before you walked into the room i was actually just texting him and i was talking about you because um the student that that i had was had some physical challenges and i was always really inspired about the fact that the one person that didn't see his physical challenges was him he yeah. would come in and he didn't see that stuff. He just came in. He knew what he couldn't do, but that never stopped him. Everything was always about, I saw this thing. I want to learn how to do that. And then my job as a teacher was to find a way to allow him the opportunity to, to experience these things. And then he came in once and he said, okay, I want to learn odd time signatures. No problem. So we were writing out different odd time signatures and you learn how to play them. And he's like, now I want to write some out and make you play them. I'm like, perfect. So you would just make up these odd time signatures and hand me the sheet. And then the challenge was I had to then learn how to play this stuff. Or he would come in and, and he'd want to learn a style of music that I'd never even heard of before. And I'm like, perfect. Give me a week. Let me look into this. And I just, I loved the passion for just wanting to learn and be involved in something that just inspired your creativity regardless of what it was. And now a lot of times people get really stuck on the social media trends now of uh, like the social media drummers, which tend to be kind of like, you know, turning it into an Olympic sport. And we don't need to go down that road because we've already said to discuss that. But I also love the trend now because with social media and YouTube, people have access to things that we didn't have access to when we were starting. So now you might have students that come in and say, I watched this video of this guy who plays in this band called Led Zeppelin. And then from there, you can start really going down kind of where the history of this stuff comes into play. So in addition to it sort of changing the industry, it also opens up things that had been ignored for a long period of time. And I find that aspect of things inspirational. I mean, first of all, and I want to tell you again, what a <clears throat> this is part of the reason why one of the biggest reasons why when you asked if if I, you know, can we can get together and do this again, I want you to know it's one of the first and strongest reasons why I said yes was was mainly because when I talked to you and when I did last time too as well as this this is not you just going here let me we're having an exchange where i feel like i hope i hope you and you're like well yeah duh man but like i hope you understand that's what i recognize is really nice about this because your experience is vast and your your education is vast and your knowledge is vast and and 
So when you talk to me about something like that and say you said so much information there in a really uh, concise and understood way that, that resonated with me greatly, I am, um, you know, it, let me just say this to me. When uh, Have you ever golfed in your life? No. Okay. Well, so I can say this about golfing. When I first started doing it and I first started getting decent at it, and I enjoy it, I love it. I, I don't get to play nearly as much, but when I learned how to putt, so you're all, you get your ball on the green and then you've got a putt. Well, the greens all undulate and do all kinds of stuff. And so it's never like, oh, I just go look at the hole and I see the ball and I just walk right. You can't, you have to, I mean, you see people get down and do like crazy spider because you got to read the, not only that, I thought that was bad enough, but then I see guys going to the other side of the hole equidistant from the other side looking at that because it looks totally different from that angle and what i'm saying about that is the aspect of what your student did with you i love doing that as a teacher this is kind of specific to the teaching element but i call it dictation longhand whatever like as well as just going here here's what you're playing this is how you learn how to read it now play it and great um not only that but that here here's a pad of paper and a pencil i'm gonna play a rhythm write it out for me or now you write it, you create a rhythm based on what I we've just learned, what I've just shown you, how the subdivision and what the eighth note does and the eighth note rests. Now you write out a rhythm, knowing the keys to it, and I'll play it. And we're speaking a language now, but you learn how to speak any language or communicate in that, that language by all forms of it and understanding all sides of it. So again, with keeping someone interested in their passion, I think this is the key is you got to make even the fun stuff or the not fun stuff, the stuff that involves work for a while. You might have to try and learn how to just really mold that so it, it, they can find enjoyment in those things, because then the true enjoyment comes when the, when the frustration about not knowing what to do, whether it be how to read a chart. I don't know, man, in my experience, maybe 10% of students ever went like, I can't wait to get into more sight reading. Not one of them. They couldn't wait to start getting into the portion of the lesson where we got back to learning the song they wanted to learn. And that's just the way that I found it to be. And I was the same way. I didn't enjoy it. I only enjoyed sight reading stuff when I learned how to sight read enough that I didn't struggle and panic and get freaked out looking at a chart. That's the only way it made it. And so I've experienced that with students of mine that play in uh, concert band and jazz band. They come to me and they're like, oh, I, I you know, and then I hear from the parents, this is no joke. Uh, he was he he was sick at his performance. He didn't make like he got terribly ill. I know for a fact he wasn't. The reason he if he did get ill, he was ill from stress due to the fact that he did not and he was gonna it was gonna be a horrific experience because he knew he wasn't prepared. Mm -hmm. Going back to that preparation, right? So I mean again, and so my key is one of the things I focus on is trying to make sure if there's anything that is required that they're trying to achieve by what they're learning or tap or connected with the lessons themselves that they're seeing that accomplishment and doing that when it comes to school band and some other forms of more constructed musical situations. Um, it can, it can be challenging for them to find that, you know, again, to study that stuff and work on their chart of, you know, the Grinch for the Christmas show where they play the triangle, then want to play their, you know, Avenged Sevenfold tunes. I, often find as a teacher, I, I like to introduce 
the fundamentals to every student at the beginning, regardless of their experience, even if they're a beginner or someone that's been playing for a number of years. I think it's always important that we at least kind of assess the fundamentals. But then what I've learned is that I will give them those tools, tell them why it's important. And then if they dive right into them, we go further down that. Other yeah. times, if they don't dive into it, I will immediately shift and focus on something that they really want. Because you can't, you, you don't want to squash the passion of learning by trying to give them the tools that you know that they need. And then what I will do is when they hit a wall based on something that they really want to do, but now they've run into a problem and now there's something that they can't figure out. I will show them the solution, which helps them overcome that so they can get to the next level. After they've taken that solution and it's helped them, I will then re-remind them that the solution was the fundamental that I gave them in the first place. Yeah, I want to make the theoretical information practical applications so that because I, as a student from myself, whether it be music or just in school in general, if I didn't know why I was learning something, it made it greatly challenging for me to learn. I needed someone not to tell me how to do it. I needed someone to tell me where I was going to use this. Now, the reality is I might not use everything, but I needed to know the why. Tell me why we're doing this and give me a situation where this is going to be a benefit. Then that helped me learn. But I didn't do well when I wasn't shown a practical application of the knowledge that was being presented to me. Well, I think that's and so I think I I would say that I would I tend to teach in the same vein and I kind of that's where I set my criteria on things that when I do teach them I I keep it very I I would say I dare keep it incredibly practical to what I think the experience for most of the students that I'm teaching the ultimate direction they're going to be not every bee is created as a queen bee and not every bee is created as a worker bee and not every bee is the certain or whatever maybe that's but you know what i mean um so i think i have an idea and can gauge even from a fairly young age by that i mean 10 to 12 to 13 you know <clears throat> where their true interest lays in wanting to develop and some i've had students that were 11 years old who who were so in the know that all they wanted to do is make sure this was to help. It was like getting a tutor to help them in math. They just wanted to be able to get through their year in concert band playing, you know, various mm -hmm. percussion and learn sight reading better. And when I said, well, do you have any interest in learning the kit? You want to sit? Nope. Nope. Not my thing too loud. I don't want or whatever. Right. So, and I've taught some students that way too. So, but that was what their interest is. Right. As far as keeping the things to the, I, I only want, I, what I won't do I used to do it when I was younger because I didn't feel like I knew any better anyway. But what I really won't do anymore is continue to teach anyone, uh, but especially, you know, younger students, if they don't, if they, if they're not connecting with it. And the only way I seem to know how to connect them with it is by making it enjoyable. But a lot of times, then let me just put it in. This is the mind word picture that I got about two minutes ago when you were talking about it. If the lack of certain knowledge is the ailment and the medication is the knowledge, that doesn't mean that the recipient is automatically understands or is even willing to take in the medication. So what do you got to do? Like your dog you, or your animal, you can wrap it in a treat and, 
and they and they'll get the information necessary possibly even if that means you might have to alter how it's delivered to keep it exciting or interesting they may not even know what the process is they're learning but then getting it if that makes sense and i find that challenge as a teacher incredibly uh exciting and yeah Dom Familiera once said to me, a lot of the people that would go to him for lessons or advice were educators. And one of the things that he said was, in situations when you have a student that you're finding to be a bit of a challenge, the thing you always have to remember is that it's never the student, it's always the teacher. Now, what, he, what, he, what he also said was, that doesn't mean that every student is following the path that they should be following but too many times the teacher isn't willing to adapt to help the student succeed because they have a way that they do things and if the student doesn't doesn't respond then they teach it to them the same way and yep. you need to learn how to adapt to encourage that and that that's not the easiest thing to do at times yeah 100% that's the great challenge. It, it really is. It's the great challenge. And, you know, the other thing that blows me away, man, and I want to say this real quick to sort of even culminate, this is a not on a right turn and, and it's a, probably a third and a, a installment or a good start for a third installment. But like, what a crazy thing that if we, if I look back and here, I run the risk of sounding like, again, it's so funny that I find myself saying things now that actually resonate with some precursor. Like, I wonder if my grandpa said this. It's, it's so funny. But I just go, look at the generation that I grew up in. Now, I grew up in a point where I still could buy, from the time I was interested in drums and, and really learning, within the first couple of years of me learning, I could go purchase a VHS cassette of an instructional video by a handful of guys that were well-known, right? Uh, Terry Bozio, Greg Bissonette, Tommy Aldridge, Jeff Beccaro, Steve Gadd, the Zildjian videos with Weckl and Vinny and Steve Gadd, the Buddy Rich things. The, I mean, I, the, the, the DC video, you know, all that stuff we remember from when that all started. So that was, again, about the max of what you could get other than listening to records, as far as I could remember, and going to a concert and then somehow again then when media became more or watching it but there was no way to really document it till you could record it on a vhs and watch it again the, the ability to find out information to tear it all so the dissection process came and by dissection i mean learning more about it gaining knowledge man i could find out anything i want to find out about any drummer played on any track pretty much ever in less than 15 minutes if i do if i just have internet mm -hmm. that's wild man like and and then again so how do, how does one find new avenues to be creative to do something original to do something new when you've you know you have access to but that's where again so teaching right kids come in with with going oh they they send me links Students text me links on my cell phone to watch of a drummer before they come in. Like, can we talk about this? Whatever. Like, wow, what a trip from the, either the days I was taking lessons or when I was teaching when I was a lot younger. It was, you know, it's a fundamentally too, there is still something, even if someone thinks that they can learn all they want, there's still something I think about a connection and a rapport and a dialogue that you have where you have interaction um like this with a teacher and again even more so if you can be in the same room man but 
it, there's something that I don't think will ever be replaceable in that. Just like I think, think no matter how far technology donuts get, we're going to want to really come back to the, 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 the classic, you know, the analog donut. <laughs> and one of the things that I love is I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of drum books. Like I got a whole shelf behind me that's just full of drum books. And some of them I still have yet to work through, but I just, I get inspiration getting a new book and just kind of opening up because I, I love to read drum music. But one of the things that I do is that if, if I buy a book that inspires me, and I have the opportunity to, I will take a lesson with the person that wrote the book in the first place. Yeah. Because when you get the opportunity, like this sort of situation to sit with them, whether it be in person or online and pick their brain for an hour, you start to understand the concepts and the intentions behind the material on a much deeper level. Um, I had a recent uh, interview with uh, Dave Desenzo, you know, Berkeley professor, and Dave's a monster player and a monster educator. And, yeah. and I, I have a couple, I bought a couple of his books recently and they're just, they're so deep conceptually in, in terms of his vast knowledge and experience that because I had the opportunity to connect with them, the books kind of just take on a whole different vibe and, and a whole kind of different energy. And so it's advantageous to have the connection and the guidance of a mentor or a teacher, even if it's a one-off situation, because you can do things yourself. The problem is you can get so overwhelmed with things that you need someone to inspire you and to mentor you and to get you started in a way that is encouraging you know like if you leave a lesson and you're discouraged you're studying with the wrong person yeah i would agree i would that's i think that's a really really well put statement and i kind of was imagining it i was just even as you were talking and i was resonating with what you're saying i'm like i was sort of equating it to like a pilot somebody wants to learn by like hopefully you go to flight school and you i mean again I don't, i'm not a pilot so i don't know right but if you a good instructor will be able to teach you from the very beginning, me, who's only known how to get on a plane and and be a passenger. I would need to learn, I would assume, the, the basics of aerodynamics and how wind passes over a wing and lift is created and everything about the basics of flight, period, before I could ever learn what the controls stick, what the, that, that's the next or wherever the phase is down to the point where now you want to get really into your education. You want to learn how to fly the 787 or the 777 because everyone or the Airbus plane, entirely all different stuff and super specific to that very thing that you do hours of simulators on and hours of real time. And But again, if I just want to know, like, how does a plane fly? I still, someone's got to teach me the concept in a way that I will understand. Then if that sparks my interest, I go further. Now, again, if that makes sense, there's educators of all those different levels, I believe too. But I think an important factor in what I strive for is to be able to, if you call it a funnel, I'd like to, my goal as a teacher would be able to be able to, to handle that funnel down. Now, again, the more uh specific it gets again that's why it's a funnel i'll have less and less followers depending on if they choose to go as specific all the way to boom like <laughs> i've now now we turn around and go the other way out the funnel and now you're going to teach me about you know whatever or however that works but like yeah that's that's that to me is the 
the challenge. And here's, I was going to say this last thing. If you've heard the statement, at least I have. So rather, it's really kind of an insulting statement to me when I look at it in this light. Is it those that can't, comma, teach? I, I don't know if you've heard that. I've heard yeah. that. Uh, and then, but if I dare say this, and then I could say this to you. Now, anyone who doesn't know me who might hear this, if they aren't willing to trust that I don't say this from an egotist, but I don't that I would prove I would prove that wrong then I think because I've done I mean I've played Madison Square Garden I've played Hollywood Bowl I've played Rock and Rio I've played Royal Albert uh, Royal Albert Hall I've played like I, I mean and I don't say that arrogantly I mean I've done that I've toured with a major band and I teach and I think I'm a very good teacher I've been told that and so I don't think that's true at all I think the art of teaching is just an entirely different thing from or skill set, but I, I enjoy it because it's wrapped in with the passion that I love the most, which is music and drumming, if that makes sense. So to do both, I also think it's very possible and lots of people do it. And lots of people do the, they're doing it. Those that don't, they're doing, then they're, they're doing it, but they don't know how to teach. And I know plenty of people who are fantastic players who don't possess, I think the right skill set to communicate what they've learned correctly or will do it in a way that may be so one dimensional or very opinionated and so covered and seasoned in their only thing. I also stray away from drummers and educators. This is just my feeling that would ever say that the way that they're doing now that's going, well, Jamie, that's ridiculous because science has proven that this is the only way that things happen. I don't know. Then why is there six different ways I could learn how to play a one-handed stroke role. And my bigger question is why would I even want to play that? <laughs> yeah. Other than what I do as a musician, I, and I'm not knocking those that do, I just, it doesn't come across my radar for any part. That's just me. So therefore, again, my interest in that is, is not great other than how does it cross over now learning how to play, I keep forgetting by Michael McDonald with Picaro playing that one-handed 16th note pattern. I just got my ass handed to me <laughs> and I had to call Todd Zuckerman and, or text him and ask him any, the, the, what did he call it? The, the something pull. I started working on it, but based on uh, the, the, uh, there's do a, you know what? there's it's a, like, there's like a, uh, a shank tap yeah. sort of thing that, that he always teaches. Shank tip, shank. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been working on that. And again, the only answer to that is practice and get it comfortable. And so I see the value in it. I'm not knocking it, uh, but, but whether or not, uh, like it doesn't, uh, I hope that makes sense. I just want to hopefully be, uh, be able to keep the basics really, really exciting and kind of go look if it, cause if the intent is to want to compete at the, level that we see people showing their thing uh, i i don't know man that's uh that's also maybe part of the reason why some could say oh because he he can't maybe that is the reason but even if i could my desire is not to post something that becomes so difficult for any other drummer to ever achieve that they just want to throw their sticks away or somehow think then they spend their time trying to prove if i did it for real or i was it was fake or it was why not just really work on your, your shuffle man <laughs> really work 
locking down at a, at a, a BPM of 68, holding down a quarter note groove. As we kind of wind up here, because I want to be respectful of your time, because I know you have a session to get to. We'll do another one whenever you would like to. These are just so therapeutic for me too, man. Absolutely. Going back to your preparation for the the tears tour, you you posted a video on Instagram of you playing and prepping everyone wants to rule the world they got huge response and one of the things that i loved is that you playing this simple perception of a simple beat it's actually one of the most difficult grooves i think i've ever had to learn properly or at least in my version of them but just you playing this groove that reaches and touches so many people was to me a much more inspirational video than something just demonstrating huge technical ability. Because sometimes I I look at technique as technique is important so that you can express the idea that you want to express. It's not um, something that you just use as as a way to demonstrate technical skill it's a way for you to express the idea that you have and i think that's why it's really important to learn those fundamentals regardless of whether you're following everything in a traditional path or you're coming up with your own way of doing things as long as you have the ability to express what you feel inside i think that's the most important element right there may i just jump on that and say number one i agree with you but i would also add this caveat to help maybe even further explain the viewpoint i've been communicating which again i think you understand but maybe just for anyone that might listen to this yes that is but how about this too the importance of knowing that the technique is just to provide the vehicle for you to express even more so that is almost comparable potentially it of handing them, uh, like they call it, a monkey with a machine gun. Mm-hmm. I mean, by that is that the knowledge and the the experience and the discipline and the maturity to know when to play, when to pull, when it's right to speak in that voice or in that sentence versus uh, in a place where you're going to be interrupting someone or talking over someone or someone. It'd be like, uh, I mean, musical Tourette's if I may and I'm not not I'm not making please I always I'm so cautious in this generation to make but like it's sort of that's just as important too because even if you possess the you'd think and hopefully that comes along with the capability of learning to express something that technical you're going to know when it's time where you're doing it in a on a canvas that is fully supportive of that kind of right so it's also learning the maturity just because we possess the firepower is it the right time to to use that or use that color because sometimes be as creative as you might want to say, there is something that, that, you know, purple on top of red makes Brown. And sometimes to a lot of people, Brown is not the most eye striking and they want to get into it color. Uh, that's just, I think that makes sense. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And going back to one of my earlier points as well, I like to introduce technique when a student hits a wall and then they come to me because they they need to find a way to jump over that wall to get to get to the next level. And that's usually they pick a song that they love. They want to play this and it's just way 
faster than their comfort level is at that point. But I don't discourage that. What I just do is I break it right down, teach them the technique and show them why I had to adapt and change the way I do things so that I could overcome that challenge and allowed me to overcome that challenge. That's why I know that it'll allow you to overcome your challenge. And so I always think it's important that students realize that we struggle as well and we've been there and we need to remember that we used to have the same challenges at that point. But I think sometimes what happens is people forget about the fact that things that they take for granted now were things that were not part of their capabilities at the beginning. So you have to kind of put yourself back in that situation. And I think it's good for a teacher to humble themselves when they're with the student so that the student gets encouraged to know that you're really working on things. And I've said to students before, I didn't demonstrate this as well as I used to be able to play it. So I'm assigning the same exercise to me that I'm giving to you for the week. And then let's compare, let's come back next week and we'll work on this together. It's always important just to kind of assess where you're at and what's important to you and just find joy in this whole process and experience and never lose that that passion and that enthusiasm that we have for this incredible craft of being a musician. I, yeah, there's nothing, man, that's, that's it. Mic drop. <laughs> like, I mean, that's it. That's, that's it in the essence too, again, because of how much vast, uh, again, how much information, how many different things from talking about the importance of the paradiddle to how little I, it may have actually come into play from the day I learned it till this moment right here. Unless I wanted to break it up between the kick and the snare. When's the last time you heard that beat? It actually isn't very cool sounding. I don't know. No, I mean, it's great when you're first learning it, but when did you ever hear, when's the last time you heard the pair that'll be between your kick and snare? Okay. Well, whatever. There's some fundamental sort of technical rudimentary patterns, and I don't want to go down a whole thing here, but, um, but, I, I I would learn a lot of these patterns and I'd say, great, I know this and I would sort of apply it. But it actually wasn't until I was fortunate enough to connect with Todd Zuckerman on a number of occasions where I started to find the musicality of these patterns that I had taken for granted. And it's all comes back again to just expressing yourself as an artist and just finding different ways to musically put these things together. So and a good teacher and an open-minded student can work together to really help you achieve some incredible things and just to find this this joy in this whole creative process. That's it, man. Well said. I agree. Jamie, it's be, once again been an absolute pleasure, and I know we're probably going to do this again at some point. Yeah, I don't want to overstay my welcome with you or with anyone. That that, But again, I want, would like to end with making sure I tell you to uh, thank you for for your friendship. Thank you for asking me to participate in this communication again. And, and man, congratulations on the growth and the, the experiences you're having. And I thank you for continuing to put the effort in because again, I, my assumption would be from what we've just said, that this process is what you you're passionate about it too. You're enjoying and are passionate about putting together this dialogue with all of the vast different experiences and that is stimulating and that takes work though and i thank you for doing it because many people get to benefit from your passion and your putting it together so and and i yeah it's just it's it's always cool to talk to you 
Thank you. That means the world to me. We will connect again soon. So I hope that your uh, upcoming session, just when you're done, this is a um, positive experience and uh, we will, we will stay in touch and, uh, and just, uh, it's, it's an absolute pleasure to me to have developed this friendship. Well, one of us has to get to the other side of the coast of Canada sooner than later anyway, so we could at least, you know, catch up in person. We'll, yeah. we'll see, feeling we'll see each other this year before the end of the year in person anyway. Absolutely. Beautiful. All the best to you, and uh, we'll you. chat again soon. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Drummer's Pathway Podcast. Please share and subscribe to get the word out, and let's keep the discussion going. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.